Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so glad you found us, and we hope you found a new podcast that you just love and will continue to tune in for encouragement. This is a place where real women share real stories of real hope, and many of our stories are lighthearted. Others are very dramatic and very heavy. I will give everyone a a bit of a trigger warning right now. We are going to cover some very mature and hard, heavy topics in this episode. Oh, but it's so worth listening to the end because every story we bring you is a story of hope. So welcome back to those of you who have been following us uh, all along. Uh, It's amazing that we have over 100 episodes now, and I'm so excited to introduce you all to my friend, Abby. She's going to be sharing her story with us tonight, but before we start at the beginning and go through her whole story and all that she's been through, Abby, if you don't mind introducing yourself to the listeners, and then we'll get started. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Um, my name is Abby. I um, am super thankful to be here today and sharing my story. Um, it's the first time I've really shared my story, you know, kind of on any sort of platform like this. So I am a single mama to my 18-month-old daughter, Haven. We live over in Central Oregon, and I met Jessica through Calvary Mac a few years ago. Um, I'm a social worker I'm at the hospital here in Bend, and I'm just really excited to share my story and all that God has done in my life and in my daughter's life and um, kind of how we got here today. Absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about this uh, before, like how often you just sort of give that brief introduction and everything sounds amazing, right? You yeah. you go around in a new Bible study or a book club, or maybe meeting somebody at the park or whatever. And you think, well, that's great. Your life is fabulous. And I think hopefully by now, for those who've been listening to this podcast for a while, we've learned that there's so much more to our stories than those surface level introductions. And while they are true and great, there's there's a lot more depth. Um, so we we are, we're going to go pretty deep and we're going to go back and start with your childhood and I'm going to let you tell us your story. Yeah. So um, I was born and raised in McMinnville, lived there all through high school. My family lived there all through um, college for me. I have three brothers that I'm super close with. I grew up, my parents are still married. Just a great example of what uh, marriage looks like, you know, through the the struggles and challenges and also the great times. So I graduated from McMinnville High School in 2018 and I uh, went to college from there, um, but just a super great childhood. So many great memories with my family and just growing up in McMinnville, just a small community um, involved in sports and activities, great friends, um, just a really ideal childhood, just all good things. <laughs> Up until um, I think the biggest defining uh, moment in my life where my life kind of started shaping into what it is now. My freshman year of high school, I met a um, young man who we um, ended up dating. And that was really the time in my life where things just kind of took their own turn and their own route away from kind of the ideal childhood I'd had up to that point. 
this young man, of course, it's his own story to tell, but he disclosed a lot of abuse that was happening in his home. And so my family ultimately went through the legal system and got essentially power of attorney of him or what would be similar to guardianship. And he lived with my family all through high school um, while we dated. And I think just introducing you know, kind of his trauma and story into my life was the beginning of where um, my story really starts. And so we did eventually go our own ways and kind of do our own thing. But um, his story and his time in my life and my family's life was kind of the, the turning point for all of us. And I think just seeing how my, my family walked through that really hard journey you know, really set me up for a lot of what would come down the road. Um, and I think it's also really important to note that with that relationship, it was such a defining point in my life then. And I look back even now and realize how impactful it was it kind of set me up for relationships um, in the future that we'll get to soon, as far as being a fixer in relationships. Um, and I'm drawn to to men and to people that need fixing and help. And that's a big part of my story to come. (laughs) I know so many women just went, oh my gosh, me too. And they completely understand what you're talking about. It's that, okay, you, you need help. You need fixing. I can save you. I can be that. And it's, and that storyline's romanticized in so many movies and TV shows and things. So you've had this turning point in your life that's setting you up for some future chapters. And at this point, you're about to go off to college. Yeah, so we were together all through high school. I guess mid-high school is when we kind of went our own ways. And it it has been really special to see the success that he's had, I think because of the foundation that my family was able to help him with. We aren't necessarily in contact anymore. Um, there's been a few brief times. Um, but I graduated high school, like I said, in 2018 and went to George Fox for my freshman year. So George Fox was kind of the perfect distance from home, but I could still go home for, you know, dinner and laundry (laughs) when I needed to, but I did live on campus. So I had, you know, kind of my own beginning um, as an adult at George Fox. I went, you know, in with the intentions of going into the social work program. And um, that's kind of what I was taking classes to work towards there. And I think you don't realize as a, you know, young woman that's been not necessarily sheltered, but just had a well-rounded childhood um, where my needs were always met. I had the things I wanted. I could do the things I wanted. And I had such good family support that when you go to college, it's just this big world. And being a Christian college does not make it any less of a new big world. And so early in my freshman year, um, in November, in the fall, I was um, sexually assaulted by a fellow student. And I look back and get emotional here. (laughs) And just to see how that was the biggest turn in my life. I never would have thought that that would happen to me. I didn't even really know what it meant or how to protect myself from something like that happening. And so that's, you know, I, I think the the relationship I had in high school is a huge part of my life. And I look back and I'm thankful for it. But the experience I had at George Fox is my the beginning of my story. 
um, you know, and how my life would look moving forward. I want to just pause for a quick moment and remind you and remind all the ladies listening who have experienced that, that it's not your fault. I know some of you know that, but maybe need to hear it again. A sexual assault is a obvious form of abuse. And when somebody abuses you, it's a choice that they make. And thankfully, and there is a God in heaven who loves you and cares about you and would never want that for any of his daughters. And this is a big turning point in your life, as you've said, because with with any sort of trauma, there's there's kind of two pieces. There's the trauma itself, and then there's how that trauma is handled or how people respond to you. Yeah, so I had amazing roommates that I was close with. Um, one of them was in the social work program with me just a really great friend and support to me. I remember coming home for fall break before all this had happened. And I was like, mom, this is like where I'm meant to be. This is like the best thing that's ever happened to me is going here. I told all my friends that weren't in college yet, you know, you've got to go here. Like, it's just this amazing place where you can feel God's presence in the classroom you know, just the integration of faith into the career that we're trying to set ourselves up for through our education. And so it just was the biggest betrayal to have this happen to me at this place that I thought I loved so much. And, and then to work through all of it with the university and to be also betrayed by them and how they, you know, handled it and supported me um, as a student, um, or lack of support, I should say. Pretty early on in sharing this with the university, the victim blaming started kind of the the secrecy of wanting to not make this bigger than it should be. And I just really felt as a Christian woman that I was not allowed to have this be part of my identity. It happened to me. And I wasn't supposed to talk about it. I wasn't supposed to share my story. It was just the most shameful thing that could have happened to me as a Christian woman at this university. And sadly, so often there are going to be places that that do that. They victim blame or they minimize. That's putting shame on on somebody. And, And sadly, we know that this kind of response happens at a lot of places, a lot of colleges, a lot of workplaces, a lot of community places. Victim blaming is is very common, and I know a lot of listeners have experienced that. Yeah, so the victim blaming, just to you know, kind of clarify, and I'm sure so many women have experienced this, like you said, was you know questions like, "Well, what were you wearing? Why did you go over to his house that late at night?" You know, just things that turn the whole situation around onto me instead of any accountability for the man that chose to do this. And so I think that that was very discouraging and eye-opening to me to go through that experience. And one really specifically hard thing that the university kind of pushed back on, I, as soon as I told my family what had happened, um, which was a couple days after, I did proceed with criminal stuff and pressing charges and doing all of the medical examination that is recommended. And I, I don't know what it was, but 
there was just this fire in me to try and do something about it. And so I started a club at the college or kind of a, not necessarily a university recognized club, but a club for women that were also survivors or just supporters. Um, It was called the Campus Survivor Project. And we tried to get it approved through the university and they kept declining the application for it to become a club. And the main reason that we really wanted it to become a recognized club at the college was so that we could have a space to meet, you know, rights to advocate for this club and, you know, kind of share what we were trying to do and they would not let us do it. So we ultimately ended up, you know, going forward with meeting. Um, We met in the lobby of my dorm room all through my freshman year. I think the most supporters and survivors that we ever had that were kind of part of the club that was at the university. Um, I think at one point in the meeting, we had up to 20 people, uh, men, women, people that knew people that were survivors, um, survivors themselves. And I think it kind of turned into just this amazing space where people could share their story with each other (laughs) and know that there was support and that we were all just there for each other. And it didn't, it wasn't just people that had experienced that at the university, Um, a lot of people that had experienced it prior to coming to college. So just all of our different walks of life and experiences coming together and just realizing that we had so much more in common than we ever would have known. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite things about people sharing their stories. There's a really special bond that comes when you can say me too. And have experienced whatever it is, uh, cancer, divorce, abuse. And I mean, there's the the list goes on and on and on, whatever it is, whether it's mental health, whether it's um, a financial situation, but just to know that somebody has, they really get it and that you're not alone. It's very empowering. Mm -hmm. And what an amazing thing that there was that group that came around you and that you guys could all be there for each other and, and try and make a difference really. But as I understand it, uh, you decided not to stay at George Fox. And I will just want to take a quick moment here. We're recording this in in 2023, and um, this happened in 2018. Hopefully, I mean, if you're listening to this, maybe 10, 20 years in the future or so, hopefully hopefully things have changed. Hopefully, all, all universities have a better way of handling things and have more support and honor groups like that. So that's certainly the hope and the prayer. But you did switch over to a different university. Yeah. So um, in middle spring of my freshman year, I just couldn't do it anymore. I like walked on campus and I just, it was such a suffocating place to be just to have kind of the mental connection to what had happened, how things were handled. And so I did ultimately Um, apply and was accepted to transfer directly into Pacific University social work program. And I finished out my freshman year at George Fox and then um, started at Pacific for my second year, which was just a really great move. It was also very empowering to close that chapter and realize that me leaving there wasn't the end of everything for me. There was still so much more to come and that I could close that chapter and still find success somewhere else. 
And so much more was to come with your story. Wonderful things, wonderful healing things, but also there was some more trauma. Yeah. So the summer between my freshman year and my sophomore year. So before I transferred, I met a man and fell absolutely in love (laughs) very quickly, very quickly. So we met in July of that summer and started dating, seeing each other every day. It was just like so meant to be. It felt like at the time, I don't think that I had healed my heart through the trauma that I'd been through. And so I was in a really, really vulnerable place in my life still. And I don't necessarily think that I needed a man in that time, but I just needed someone. And it ended up being this guy that came into my life. And I look back now that I can recognize some of the you know behaviors and things that happened a little bit better, both through just my experiences and my education in social work that he kind of just swooped in, said all the right things and saved me at that really hard time in my life. So we dated for a couple months and then got engaged in September. So just a few months after we had met and we were engaged for um, about a year and a half. It was during COVID. And so things kind of got held up, but just a really super fast relationship. And I look back now and can recognize how unhealthy that was at that time in my life. Pretty early on in the relationship, I started identifying some of the red flags that would soon or eventually, you know, kind of lead to the end of the marriage and closing that chapter. But I was in such a vulnerable spot that I was unwilling to you know, recognize those or do anything about it because this was the man that had saved me at the hardest time in my life. And so we got married in December of 2020. Leading up to that point, like I said, there'd been a lot of really hard things, a lot of really difficult family dynamics with his family and just a lot of challenges that we went through leading up to our marriage. Um, But we got married, had a beautiful wedding, very, very small because of COVID. But I, I think pretty quickly after we got married, things just really got worse (laughs) to put it in simple terms. I don't know if the marriage was the marriage itself was kind of like the turning point where it was like, okay, she's mine now. And this is what we're going to do with the relationship. And so a lot of the verbal abuse, emotional abuse, emotional neglect, those kind of things really um, escalated in the relationship. And I, we got pregnant a few months after we got married. I think it was May is when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter Haven. Um, So also pretty quick. And that was also a huge defining point in the relationship where things just weren't healthy. They were toxic, abusive, and just really not the kind of environment that I wanted to raise my daughter in. It wasn't how I grew up. And that's not to say that you have to raise your kids in the exact same way. A lot of times you want to make those changes and do things differently. But these were things that were not how I wanted to raise my daughter. And I did not want her being witness to these things. I remember lots of times just, you know, being told I was worthless. I would never be good enough for anyone. Um, No one would ever put up with me like he did. Um, Just a lot of that gaslighting behavior. 
that really just, I, I remember just calling my mom one night and I'm like, I feel crazy. Like, I don't know what to do. These are the things he's telling me. And I feel crazy and I'm hormonal because I'm eight months pregnant. But that aside, these things that he's telling me are just eating me alive. <laughs> I don't know how to move forward. And so making that call with my mom and just really talking it through with her was really important for me for the months to come because she was able to be a support. She did such a good job of, you know, just walking the thin line of not overstepping because I'm her daughter, but also being there to listen. Um, And so if I would tell her something, she would listen and talk to me, but she wouldn't try and fix it (laughs) as much as I'm sure she wanted to. And so I, I had my daughter um, in January of 2022. She was perfectly healthy, beautiful, the best day of my life. Um, it was really hard. It was during COVID as well. And so I could only have one person at the hospital with me. And that was her dad and kind of carrying through with that emotional neglect. I labored and had my daughter delivered her on my own. There was no support. But the nurses were amazing and did so much for me in those couple of days I was there. They, you know, had that baby with me. <laughs> but I had my daughter Haven and we went home a few days after she was born. And again, I keep saying this, things just kept getting worse. And I didn't think they could get any worse. And they did. Um, so we got home and... I essentially was doing it all on my own again. I was trying to breastfeed. um, And that's, you know, a lot of women know how challenging that can be and just how unfamiliar it was to me. I'd never done it before. You're really vulnerable. Your body looks so different. And so just to um, be trying to, you know, learn this new thing while your baby is crying because they're so hungry was really hard. But I, um, the first night home from the hospital, is one of the you know biggest um, triggers in my mind when I think of you know kind of what led to the marriage um, essentially failing. There was a lot of verbal and emotional abuse that night. A lot of really really hurtful things were said, and so I, you know, again I called my mom just like, what do I do? That was really my only support at that time because we were newer to Central Oregon. I didn't have. Um, you know, local friends that were available or that I could call on. And um, she, again, just listened and was there for me in all the ways I needed. I didn't realize it at the time, but she just was exactly what I needed. And so a few weeks went by and it just was so apparent to me at that point that this was not healthy. This was not going to work. And so I... One night I talked with my husband at the time and told him that I did not think this was going to work, that we were not willing to change our ways or actively work on healing through what we'd been through together to um, move past the things that had happened. And so I um, packed up myself as, you know, with a few things and my daughter and we moved out that night. And that was in February. So when Haven was just a few weeks old, it's not like the situation where I was like frantically packing up and trying to get out of the house. And I was, you know, in danger. My husband at the time actually just sat there and watched me pack up. 
me and watched me walk out the door with our daughter. And so I moved out and moved in with my family and had support from them and really for a couple of weeks just went through the highs and lows of what do I do? Do I, you know, start the divorce process? Do I try and get him to change? Do I try and fix him from a distance while I'm not living there? And just again, that theme of like, I can fix him, you know, just my, my own personal values and beliefs and how I do things. And also just with my, you know, profession, I'm a social worker, so I fix things. And so I did try that for a few weeks. I tried to fix things. I tried to get counseling set up for us and it didn't work. A lot of behaviors were really concerning and, and it was really clear to me that it, it just wasn't going to work to stay together. I think one of the most important things when I was in that kind of limbo period, just emotionally of what do I do? Someone, I said something to someone like I, my daughter is like, six weeks old and she's already from a broken family now. Um, you know, forget divorced. This is a broken family. And someone, I had never thought of it this way. Someone told me that is not a broken family. A broken family is when two people stay together and are so toxic for each other. And that the child grows up in that environment where they're witness to, you know, any sort of abuse. And I think that that was really the point where I said, okay, I can do this. I'm going to, you know, file for divorce at 23 years old with a six week old baby. And we're going to start our own life. We're going to do this. Um, and it's not what I expected. And things continued to get much, much harder <laughs> before they got, you know, any better. I think it's so important that you noted the way a family can be broken because I talk with so many women who have been told God hates divorce. God hates divorce. And it's not that that's incorrect. I mean, that that is absolutely scriptural, but God also hates abuse. And so to get really quality individual counseling from somebody who understands that or who can really speak to an abusive relationship from a biblical standpoint is critical. When you're going through a divorce, there's obviously there's the emotional piece, but there's also the logistical piece. So I would love to give you a, a chance to tell listeners, how are you today? How did, And how did you get to that point, especially for women who are also survivors of sexual assault or survivors of mental and emotional abuse? I think in some ways, and I want to be really careful how I say this because I, I don't want it to come out the wrong way. For women who have had the emotional mental, verbal abuse where there there are no bruises. In some ways, they have this extra challenge because the people on the outside looking in can't see it. At least from my experience as a listener, they have way more doubters and way more skeptics in their lives. And, and maybe if I can just kind of really maybe overgeneralize this, less support. Yeah, it's really hard to know how to open up about verbal and emotional abuse. And I find myself a lot of times still over explaining the things that happened, over explaining the verbal and emotional abuse to try and prove to prove to those that I'm talking to that it actually happened. And I think that'll always be a work in progress to try and know how to share my story with confidence. And I know the truth. I know what happened. And so that's I think that's a really great point to bring up that it's something that it adds an extra layer to the healing. And also, you know, for women that are um, open about sharing their story, it adds that extra piece of, 
of trying to explain what happened um, and make it, you know, real for, for yourself and for those that you're sharing your story with. And so as you moved forward with the divorce, how did things play out legally? And then maybe you can share kind of where you are at today and how you got there. Not to say that all your healing is totally done because usually healing is a, is a long journey, but you are definitely, definitely in a different place now than you were even earlier this year. Yeah. So I did proceed with um, filing for divorce, which also just comes with a lot of shame, no matter what the situation is. It's just, you know, kind of something in my situation um, that I grew up like with a really like happy great example of marriage from my parents, my grandparents. And then here I am coming in super young, married with a baby. And it's, it's a little bit like I felt like a failure for a long time. Um, And I still have days where I still feel some of those feelings. But anyways, I filed for a divorce in March of 2022. And at that point, my daughter's dad was local and we were just kind of doing our own thing with parenting time and trying to take it one day at a time, trying to make it the best it possibly could be for Haven. And then in um, late March of that year, it was my first day back to work for maternity leave. And I got a call from the rental, the property manager from the lease that I was still on that he was still living in, that there were belongings left in the residence that had to be out by five that day, um, or we would be charged. And it took me, I remember exactly where I was standing in the hospital where I work. I just like froze. I had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, what do you mean there's belongings left? that doesn't make sense. I, can you explain? Um, and she told me that my daughter's dad had turned in his keys the night before and had um, moved to Florida across the country. I had no idea that was happening. And so I super fortunate to have legal you know, representation that gave me you know, the legal advice to just let things play out. Don't communicate, just Cause I, I mean, this was such a shock to me. I had no idea this was happening. And so I did go a couple months without hearing anything. I had no support from him and that was just heartbreaking. As hard as the, and as bitter as the divorce had made me, I never had, you know, what could have seen it coming to this point. And a few months after his move, um, we did kind of both start kind of the legal back and forth with the courts and custody and parenting time and what all of that looks like. So we were scheduled for court in December of 2022 to hopefully have a judge, you know, kind of rule on all of all of the divorce things and all the things that come with having a kiddo as part of it. And that court date got bumped and then we got rescheduled for April. Um, So we did have court a few months ago. And that was probably, you know, again, every one of these big traumatic experiences that I have just, you know, get heavier and harder. And I think just having a child involved and knowing that I'm her advocate, you know, that it's not necessarily fair to her that this is what she's had to go through. So I, court happened on April 5th of this year. And it was a long day. (laughs) It was all virtual. 
which I think um, a lot of women can probably understand what I mean when I say that that was probably the, the most helpful thing for me to have it virtual. I think that being in a courtroom with that tension and just the history with the trauma and, you know, verbal and emotional abuse would have been so heavy on me that day. But I testified first, and that includes, you know, your own attorney asking you questions to just kind of present the case and the situation. And then you're cross-examined, which felt so icky, felt like I was a criminal and like I was being asked these questions and, you know, just questioned about all of my parenting decisions and everything that I had done up to that point. You know, that was the first part of the morning and court went on that day. And then by the end of the day, the judge you know, takes her time to kind of look everything over and you get a little break and she you know, comes back with her judgment and it was really hard. So she came back and at that point, um, my mom could be in the conference room with me because she also testified. So leading up to that point, she couldn't be in there with me and my attorney was there and my mom was there. And the judge, she kind of had this long spiel about how it was going to take a lot of time for my daughter's dad to build up to a relationship with her after choosing to move across the country. Um, It was going to take a lot of work from his part, essentially a lot more work than what he had put in up to that point. And then she said, the court, the best part, the court primarily adopts mother's plan. So we had worked so hard on a parenting plan that accommodated his distance away from us and just the circumstances around the divorce, which was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Even with my own attorney, I had to advocate for what I knew would be best for my daughter. And just for reference, her dad's plan was proposing that she go to Florida um, starting at 18 months for essentially summers um, and then all these different times during the year. And I, I just think back to that statement when she just said that the court adopts mother's plan. It was like I was finally heard after all of these years of, you know, trials and the hardest days I felt like sometimes no one hurt me and like I was crazy one I had done the wrong thing and then to have all of the objective you know evidence presented in court that day and to have my testimony and my story finally heard was the most empowering thing and of course selfishly it was very empowering for me but it was also very empowering as a mom that I was able to testify that morning and convey my concerns in a way that gave the best parenting plan to my daughter to keep her safe and to nurture her and continue to let her, you know, just kind of grow in her environment for as long as possible. And so that was, that was the most recent um, as of April and things, you know, are kind of just continuing to be a work in progress from there. Well, I certainly want to check in and, and let you share with listeners a little bit about your life today. But as we're as we're about to wrap up here, you said another really important phrase that you felt heard. And for everybody out there listening who isn't quite sure how to help 
a loved one going through this. In many ways, there's no greater gift you can give somebody who's suffering than to just hear them and let them share their story without, without judgment, without cross-examination or interrogation, just hear them. And I think some of the best conversations that I had with my mom when I just, when I really look back and I'm like, she just knew what to say and how to support me. And of course, part of that comes with just being my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the best conversations were when we, when she just cried with me, we just cried together. Um, She didn't have to say anything. It just, her emotional response towards the situation was validation for me. Right was recently asked of me if I felt heard in court and I think the whole day I didn't really know like what the answer to that would be um of course the judge provides no like emotional response or reaction to anything being said and that's her job and I think it's looking back important that she did that but that's also one of the hardest parts of testifying and going through court is that you don't know what the judge is thinking and you also just continue to like hold your breath and hope that there's some sort of accountability for the actions of others. And in my sexual assault, there was not. And so this, like I said, was just such a redeeming experience for me, especially as a mom to finally have the outcome that I've hoped and prayed for, for my daughter. So today, um, Haven and I are just in the best place that I could have ever imagined. We have our own little routine. We're in our own little place, you know, at my parents' house, um, but we have our own space. And just really getting to create my own family. I mean, it looks so much different than what I ever thought it would look like, but we have each other and um, we're doing really good. A big part of my story that I didn't really talk about was um, my dreams and you know, education professional goals to um, continue with social work and just, you know, go back to school and keep working towards bigger and better things for me. And that was never supported in my marriage. Um, It was too expensive. It was a waste of money. It was not the right profession for me. And so after um, the separation and divorce, I was accepted to Portland State's master's in social work program. And I just finished in June. So I graduated, which is really exciting. And just also, again, very empowering that I was able to do that for myself and for my daughter. So I am done with that. have a few letters after my name. And I hope to you know, keep going. I hope to get licensed and be an LCSW so that I can hopefully be in a setting where I can do a little bit more one-on-one Um, private practice type of work with women that have, um, you know, really vulnerable walks of life and some maybe similar to my own. So that's been a very exciting step in my chapter. So in closing, I was hoping you could maybe offer a word of encouragement to other victims and survivors. I look back now, there were days where I would spend so much time worrying about what was coming next especially in the middle of the divorce and all of that. And I think just recognizing that when you put so much focus and attention on worrying about what the outcome is going to be, when you get to a place where you actually need to be worried about it and you're actively working through that worry, you've now put yourself through it twice. You've now, you know, 
gone through it before you even needed to. So if I could go back, I think I would just take it one day at a time. And that's so much easier said than done. Um, But it's so true that you really have to just take it one day at a time. I'd find myself going years in advance, like, oh my gosh, she's going to have to go to Florida when she's this old. And now that there's a judgment in place, some of those concerns and fears and worries were not even, you know, didn't even need to be worried about at that time. Just knowing that um, God is, um, you know, with you every step of the way. Um, I remember there were so many nights just over the last year and a half, especially where I would just rock Haven to sleep and pray. And she does this cute little giggle when I pray. And it's just a really special time. But I would ask Jesus to let me know that he was there. Just give me something. Because you do lose um, faith and hope a lot of the time. Um, And there were so many times along the way when I would just plead to him, please show me that you're here. And he would do that. Through, you know, little things or big things. um, Would never, you know, specifically ask, like, show me this. It would just be, show me that you're here. And he would do that. And so I think just knowing that you can can pray for that and you can ask for that support um, and he will provide that to you. He always did. That's such a good reminder because God never promised that life would be free of suffering, but he did promise that he would be with us. I'm so grateful too that God's a really cool matchmaker. <laughs> and, and I mean that beyond, you know, putting people together in, in marital relationships, but how many times he's either brought me to a story night speaker or brought a story night speaker to me. And sometimes in ways that feel awkward. And I, I mean, I remember not knowing you super well, wasn't even sure if you'd remember me, but getting that, that spiritual nudge over and over and over and over to reach out to you and check on your story. But also feeling like, oh my goodness, this girl might think I am nuts. Like she might not even remember me. And <laughs> for me to be like, hi, I think you're supposed to share your story with me on this podcast. But it's, yeah, it's, it was a really a beautiful way how God was already preparing you for that. And here we are. So I'm just so grateful that you were willing and wanting to share in this way and, and hoping that you would close us out with a prayer for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so just before I, say a prayer for just the listeners and us. It's such a special experience to get to do this. You were on my mind and heart for weeks leading up to you reaching out. I had gone to one of the in-person story nights and that was right after my assault. And so I was like, someday I'm going to share my story. And I had no idea it would include all of this stuff after that. But then you reached out and it was it was truly such a God thing that we were able to connect. And I'm just so very thankful for that. And just to have the space to finally share my story. I've been so scared for so long to talk about it. Just being under kind of the legal um, microscope of things. But I finally am in a place where it's my story to tell. And of course, I can protect the names and identities of people involved, but if they did not want me sharing my story, they should not have done the things or said the things that they did to me. And so just such an amazing space that you've created for women to be able to come and share their stories. I really, really appreciate it. Jesus, I thank you so much for today and for 
again, just a space to share my story and to hear the story of other women um, as I kind of prepared for, for this today. I'm so thankful for how you have kind of guided my heart through telling my story more than once at this point, through court and through um, all of the legal challenges. And then today, kind of a redeeming telling of my story, one that I've been waiting to do for a long time. God, I just pray that you provide um, protection and security and continue to nurture that safe space for other women that are going to share their story or that maybe aren't ready to, to just know that they can come here and hopefully hear stories of hope and of how you've worked in them and through them to get to the places that they are today. God, I just pray that you continue to work in my life and in Jessica's life and in the work that she's doing to provide this space. What a blessing to so many people. I just pray that the women that have, um, or listeners that have heard my story today can walk away with little pieces of um, my journey that maybe can help them in their own journey. And that above all, else they're guided to you and and are able to look to you for that strength and to walk alongside you Um, it's not always easy God and I know you know that we stray away from you at times when things get hard but I'm so thankful that in my story every time I lost hope or faith I was always brought back to you and you did such amazing and good work in my life and my story and for my daughter Jesus, again, just thank you for this space. And I just hope that you continue to watch over all of us as we share our stories. And um, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And thank you, Abby. It's a vulnerable, raw place, but your story matters and it has worth and it will impact women. I know that, you know that, God knows that. So thank you for your courage to share it. I mean, really relive some of those chapters too, and having to go back and talk about it. I know there are some listeners that it means a lot. And and I'm pretty sure that if they wanted to reach out to you, you would connect with them. And so as always, ladies, if, if you hear a story that touches you and you maybe just want to connect with that speaker, you can always email me. I will get you in contact. And I do want to mention one amazing resource, uh, because this was, this was a big part of Abby's story that we highly recommend Abuse Recovery Ministry Services. They're a Christian biblically-based organization and program with healing groups for victims and survivors of every type of abuse. They've got resources for counselors who are trained in this, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of of what they have to offer. Um, So we'll include the link to their website. Um, That'll have their phone number and everything as well in the episode notes. So if this is your story or maybe the story of somebody you love, you may want to check them out for that support. Abby, is so good to connect with you and hear your story. Thank you again for sharing it. And ladies, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this story. We hope you are blessed and encouraged, and we hope you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.